0: Welcome to the Meaning of the Movie, our podcast about what matters most when it comes to the film. I'm your host Rob Stinnett. Here with my co-host Andrew Harmon. Hey, Andrew, what's up? What's up, Rob? Uh, I have a question for you today. Oh yeah, what's that? Do you know what the first rule of Encanto Club is? What's the first rule of Encanto
1: Club? You don't talk about Bruno. What's the second rule? The second rule is also you don't talk about Bruno. Good job. No, 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 no. Well done. Um, We are going to talk about Bruno today, though, uh, quite a bit. Um, For all of those of you joining us out there, if you haven't subscribed already, go ahead and do that and drop us a rating uh, as well. And if you want to get a gold star all the way,
0: um, then you could also write a full review. Some of you have been doing that. Yeah, this is one that I like from Ion677. It says, Do you wish you had three cinephile friends to talk about movies with at the water cooler? Look no more. Great discussion and insightful questions from guys and girls that know their way around the craft and ask the big questions about the movie. That is a fun review. So,
1: yeah, keep those keep those coming in. And you're right, it is guys and girls because we have a guest host today with us, fellas. We have Alicia Gaynor with us today. She's a friend of mine, she's a friend of the podcast, she is a production manager out here in Hollywood. But most importantly, she is a big Disney fan and she's here with us today to talk about Encanto.
2: Hello, hello, hello. I'm a girl. (laughs) (laughs) Hi, Alicia.
0: Thanks for being here.
2: Thank you so much for having me.
0: We are excited to have you. I think you're going to have a good perspective today because, yes, we're going to talk about Encanto. I was thinking about this podcast today, and can I confess something to you both? Absolutely. When I pictured starting my own podcast, if you had told me I would do a Disney film before I would do a Quentin Tarantino or a (laughs) Coen Brothers film, I could pick any film in the universe. But this is where we are here with uh, doing our first Disney film on the podcast.
2: Well, I am honored to be first Disney film guest.
0: I do think you
1: have the honor of being first guest at all.
2: Ooh! <laughs> wow. What a joy. The
1: medal uh, and the name tag will be in the mail here shortly.
2: Perfect. Thank you so much. I will be you expecting welcome. them.
0: Well, I want to get right into it because, Alicia, you're our Disney expert. And oh, so I have a question for you. I just, I just honorary made you the Disney expert. Okay, great. So here's my question for both of you. Should Disney movies be complex pieces of art or should they just be fun, magical stories for kids? You got to pick like one or the other. What should a Disney movie be?
2: So I have to admit, um, I got the show notes. I don't know if that is um, not to be revealed, but they're, these, these guys prepare. They're bringing you like researched content. Um, so I got the show notes and saw this question and I immediately texted Andrew and said, I don't want to pick, and he said, you got to. <laughs> <laughs> so truly, truly, it, I am being forced to choose, and I think if it really comes down to it for me, it's fun, magical stories for kids. I feel like um, that was the start of Disney, uh, was making children's stories in a way that is magical for kids, um, and is really part of that like childhood experience. Uh, And so I think I have to go with fun, magical stories for kids.
0: Yeah, I I agree with you there because to me, Disney feels like childhood. Um, I'm going to have to talk about being a parent a bunch in this episode because that's how I see the lens of Disney movies. But like as a kid, like I consumed all of it, right? Like I was there like... Fox and the Hound, I don't know why that's the first Disney movie I'd possibly pick, but, like, Mickey Mouse, Christmas Carol, like, I love, you know, Little Mermaid, all those movies I loved, like, just the whole world, I loved that. And then with my kids, once again, it's, like, so magical. Like, I remember getting to go to Disneyland, and my daughter seeing Goofy, and he bends down to, like, talk to her, and it's, like, like that's what Disney is, right? Like, it is a magical story for kids, and it's just, like, okay, like, that's kind of it. It's, like, a nice little character with a nice little moral, And you smile, and you feel goosebumps, and you wish upon a star, and, like, that's it. That's kind of what a Disney movie is.
2: Yeah, I totally agree. Um, We got to take my four-year-old niece to Disneyland for her first Disney trip, and her meeting a princess was, like, it was watching someone meet their hero in a very genuine and magical way. And you're totally right. That is exactly what Disney encapsulates.
1: That's amazing. Well, I think... I've got to go the other way on it. That's half the reason that I picked this movie. I saw this in theaters and I was like, Rob, we got to talk about Encanto. Like, we got to do it. And it's because I, I think animated movies sort of in general right now have been taking a turn towards being complex, interesting, layered stories uh, that aren't as simplistic. I, I remember back in the day, Brad Bird, who directed Ratatouille and The Incredibles, um, he he said that he always had this sort of crusade Um, when he would talk to people about animation is that animation is a form of storytelling. It's not a genre that you can tell any kind of story in the zone of like animation. And I guess in the zone of a Disney movie. And I think that this is Disney's first movie where I would say they've gone like full Pixar where there's still singing and dancing of a Disney movie, but it is layered and deep and the character arcs are not simple. And so, I don't know, I'm not a dad and I don't have, or I have a nephew now, but he's like six months old, so he hasn't (laughs) met any of his Disney princess heroes yet. But uh, why not teach complicated morals
0: to children? That seems, that seems fine. (laughs) So you all have Disney Plus, right? Like you have Mm -hmm. Disney Plus. So for the purpose of this conversation, when we say Disney, I'm thinking in a very Disney Plus way, which is at the top of Disney Plus, there's like the five boxes and it's like, Star Wars and Marvel and then like I think National Geographic is there for some reason that I don't (laughs) quite understand, but it's like National Geographic. And then there's the box that says Disney. And for the purpose of this conversation, when when we say Disney, I think like that's the box that I'm talking about. I'm not talking about the MCU. I'm not talking about my beloved Star Wars. Like I'm (laughs) clicking on the Disney box and that's what we're talking about.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And there's and there's also like the Pixar box, which I think has been pioneering the how do how do we tell what seems like a cute story but actually is really existential and layered with depth? They've been doing that for a decade.
0: Yeah, because, like, Pixar is, like, I'm glad you mentioned that because, like, I'm, like, Wally is, like, a deep dive of existential Kubrick 2001 and, like, this, it's, like, Castaway meets 2001 meets, like, some sort of Pixar movie. Like, it's, I think there's a lot of depth to it. Soul is, like, tons of depth Um, and so when you know I I don't put that in the Disney box but when I think Disney I'm just like no it's like nice and happy and it's like plates and forks that are singing and that's kind of what a Disney movie is
2: I'm actually glad that you mentioned Beauty and the Beast because I think that actually it is kind of like point in Andrew's column because of the way that they pushed animation forward as an art form for that film and it is Definitely still a beautiful, magical story and um, definitely a lot of childhood nostalgia there for me. But it is also a complex piece of art. Those sneaky guys.
0: Yeah, it's true. I think that movie is. And wasn't that the first animated movie to be nominated for Best Picture? It was. And that was and
1: that was back mm-hmm. when they still only had five. It's it's the only one nominated for Best Picture when there's only five nominees. Mm. A lot have been nominated since, but it's mm-hmm. it's almost always the one that wins Best Animated Film, and it's in a field of ten Best Pictures. Not right. to say that it doesn't matter, but it <laughs> like like there's an asterisk for me on Beauty and the Beast, which is it, it was you know it made the top five.
0: Yeah, and and I think that I remember that being a really big moment, and it was like oh wow, Beauty and the Beast! Like animated movies have arrived; they're like true art. Um, and it's just interesting for me because Disney movies are just something that like. I come and I watch and they're more like a roller coaster ride. Like I just let the magic wash over me, like the nice songs and whatever else. But I never think about them. I'm never like breaking it down like as a Terrence Malick film where I'm like, oh, man, what did Jafar mean in that scene? I was like, no, I know what it is. I know what Jafar is doing. It's fine. I get it. And I don't have to like chew on it and think about it very much afterwards. I just kind of take it and watch it.
1: Yeah, I would say that most Disney movies are, like, simple in their story, even if their stories are are great. The characters go on a on a pretty straightforward character journey that doesn't leave you with a lot of mixed emotions at the end.
2: Yeah, that's a good point.
1: Whereas, like, if you watch Soul, you leave that movie <laughs> rethinking your entire existence, and you were like, I just watched a cute movie about a cat, and why do I feel this way now?
0: Yeah, it's a, it's a huge difference between the two, and so... You know, not not saying that Disney movies don't, but I think that's what, like, I actually called Andrew and I was like, okay, tell me why Encanto. And you're like, no, I think this is a Disney movie with depth and that has a little bit more than, like, most of what Disney movies have. And so I was like, oh, that's an interesting point. Um, maybe I'm missing something here to it.
1: And I feel like Disney has been steering this direction over the last, like, between five and ten years. Like, Frozen 1 was still pretty straightforward it was you know about love between two sisters and how you know you can be a family um and how to like rediscover yourself which was a little bit different than true love it was a different moral but still pretty straightforward and how love saves the day Um, but like frozen 2 started to get in this much more complicated space where when does self-actualization in your life become more important than your close relationships and when do you need to like set boundaries And the front and center character arcs of Frozen 2 started to get a little bit, in my mind, outside of that typical Disney straightforward Love Saves the Day playbook. And then I think Encanto just went full on into that, um, where all of the character arcs are not simple. And I'm not sure if they would be understandable to children. I don't have children, but they were hitting me as like, oh, yeah, this is something that I came to a realization of as an adult. Like, all of the characters are adults. There are very few children in the film.
0: Yeah, I would say this is the most complicated Disney movie. Maybe I'm dense. Like, I don't know. Like, but I was like, there's a lot going on in this plot of like what all's happening and character motivations and who do I trust and who do I not. That is not as simple as like, hey, here's a princess. She needs a man. Let's make it happen. You know, like (laughs) she needs legs to get the man.
2: Let's get her
1: some
0: legs. Right. You have to sell your soul to a witch, but eh,
1: it'll work out. Who
2: hasn't been there?
1: (laughs) I mean, I think we've all been there, right? Exactly. Question for you, though, Rob, like when you were watching this movie, like how did you feel? Like when you were sitting, did you watch it in a theater? Did you see it for the first time like on Disney Plus in your living room?
0: So, I saw it for the first time Disney Plus in my living room, and I was like half watching it. Like, I, I wasn't watching it that much. And what I felt was underwhelmed the first time that I watched it. And, and I thought about it, and I was like, why did I feel underwhelmed watching this? And upon reflection, I realized, like, here's kind of my Disney journey, which is like in the late 80s, early 90s, like, there's this kind of magical Disney boom of like, I remember seeing Little Mermaid. In the theaters, I was probably, I don't know, fourth grade, fifth grade, something like that. But like, I still ride with Little Mermaid. I think it's one of my favorite Disney movies. It was like I had never seen a Disney movie like that before, you know, because it was so generational. And Disney, was like, through the 80s, was kind of dying. Like, nobody knew where it was going. It didn't have a lot of hits. And then Little Mermaid comes out, and boom, it's such a big deal. And then it goes through this run of, like, there's Little Mermaid, there's Aladdin, there's Beauty and the Beast, there's Lion King. You know, like, all those, like, late 80s, early 90s films are, like, magical. And then I think Pixar took over the world, right? And so Disney isn't reeling off the same hits. And then all of a sudden, Tangle comes And, like, when Tangled came back, I remember watching that in the theater and thinking, like, wow, Disney is back. This is so magical. This is incredible. This is, like, kind of the way I felt watching Little Mermaid. And so, anyway, I tell that long story to kind of say that, like, Encanto didn't have that same effect for me. But what I realized is, like, I think that's on me a little bit because Disney has been hitting out of the park so much with all these incredible stories that I came to like take it for granted where I just was like, oh, this is like another story that I don't have to like invest as much as I should into it. And I think it was on the second watch that I actually realized like, "Mm, I think Andrew's right. I think there's actually a really deep, interesting story here. How about you guys? How did you feel watching the movie?
2: Um, I feel like I got a really unique experience in watching Encanto. Now, I am going to need to bend over and pick up this name I'm about to drop. Um, But a friend of mine was one of the animation supervisors, uh, Michael Woodside. Um, So we got to go with him. So it was a very unique experience in that we got to see it in the theater with someone who worked so much on it and it made for a very moving experience because not only did I find the movie itself, um, as you were saying to be a very deep and interesting story but I knew the years of work that had gone into it from him and many other people that worked on the movie um, so I, I don't think there was gonna be a big chance that I wasn't gonna like the movie I was pretty pretty biased towards liking it but honestly I think it's my favorite Disney movie of recent history and I think the things that I like the most about it was my emotional response to the movie like surface pressure is a song for every oldest daughter. Every oldest daughter who has had to hold her family together and it was like not even the A track you know what I mean? It's not even, we don't talk about Bruno It was one of those movies where I needed the credits to last a little bit longer so I could like compose myself (laughs) before leaving the theater to then like talk about the movie. So, yeah, I think it was a a very unique movie going experience. And especially in, you know, these pandemic times where I'm not really going to the movie theater all that often. It was a nice like, oh, that's right. This is why it makes a difference to see something like this on the big screen.
0: I love that you got to have that experience. And I'm so glad that you didn't say, "Mm, Frozen 2 was better, like, at the end of it.
2: (laughs) Which he did also work on. uh, So I don't think he would have taken that as a a negative thing. (laughs) (laughs) That's
0: good. Andrew, how'd you feel? I think
1: I had a similar experience to you, Rob, where I got more out of it the second time. I think when I watched it the first time, I was like, oh, that was that was a little deeper than I was expecting. I was kind of expecting like a, like a Colombian princess movie and it wasn't. Okay. We should go get tacos. Like I was just like, <laughs> I kind of, I kind of moved on pretty quick. And then, um, my wife is a very avid TikTok watcher and there's a lot of Encanto sounds and tracks popping up on TikTok. There's right a now, lot and people... of
2: Encanto discourse on TikTok. It's actually really interesting.
1: It started to like, Blood the app every time she was on it. And I was like, did I miss something about this movie? And so I started like I went back and rewatch it and I was like, yeah, no, this is like I hadn't missed it. But the level of complexity was so much beyond what a Disney movie normally does. I would say pre Frozen 2 uh, that I hadn't sort of been prepped for. I was ready to sit back and watch a a Columbian Tangled and uh, that it was just wildly different which I should have got from the opening scene where a guy gets killed in the river by men on horseback. Very Hunchback of Notre Dame flashback there.
2: Yeah, I do think that's something that is so unique about this movie, is it's, I feel like Disney understands with each movie a little bit better who their modern audience is, and it's not necessarily the same audience that it was for Beauty and the Beast or Little Mermaid. You know, it's a more global audience. It's an audience that hasn't had the typical american experience um and i think that's really exciting to see them kind of embrace those stories and hopefully uh, they will continue to do so uh, more authentically as they've been trying to do you know with these last couple films
0: yeah i think that's a great point i think that's what's cool is they are evolving and they're maybe not even evolving but just like hey we're going to tell different type of stories and this, even meaningfulness aside, whatever that means, like even that aside, I think, oh, this is a completely different type of story that Disney's trying to tell. I think that, like that completely different type of story that Disney's trying to tell, I feel like
1: that is what I felt both times watching it, which was kind of whiplashing back and forth between, am I in therapy right now? And damn, this is a bop. which Pixar doesn't do. Not a lot of singing in Pixar movies. So, like, there were some jams in this movie. There are so, like, really, really bouncing back and forth between, like, the the joy. And just like, man, and am I in therapy right now?
0: (laughs) Well, let's get into it. Let's get into therapy. So what was the most meaningful scene to you?
2: Personally, I have to say the most meaningful scene was surface pressure for me because it just was such a great first of all bop but second of all like yeah this is how i feel within my family oftentimes so just like on a personal level it was that one for me but then i feel like we have to talk about um, the beautiful scene where we get abuela's whole backstory um when they're at the river yeah i still i've seen the movie three times now and i cannot watch that scene without crying it's just so moving. And it again, it like it reflects a story that is unique for this movie, but also is a refugee story. And to be able to do that in a children's movie is like, come on, guys, that's not fair.
1: Yeah. And I think it's it was so brilliant how like like that is the setup to the movie. So they kind of had to open with it in the opening monologue. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but how they don't really go into it. Right. Mm -hmm. Like it's the it's the clean version where Mm -hmm. the men on horseback show up and Abuelo just disappears. Right. Mm -hmm. Abuelo was lost and you get it. Right. It's like it's like in uh, it's like in Frozen when their parents were lost at sea. Right. The wave comes up and there's not a ship anymore. Right. Like it's Mm -hmm. it's 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 the very clean version. But then they go back to it and it's still, you know, PG rated. But like they do it again and you get to experience it through Abuela's memory, full-on, her not-clean version. And it's... Yeah. yeah, it's incredibly emotional.
2: Yeah, you get to see the impact of those actions. I feel like in Disney movies, you know, there's the the Disney parent uh, of it all, where it's like, if you've got two parents, you probably won't by the end of the movie. Um, but you don't necessarily always see an honest reflection of that happening to the character. So then to see her you know, kneeling on the floor of Casita holding her children is like, that is deeper than your standard Disney movie, I feel.
0: Can I ask you both a question? This is not in the show notes, so I'm like going off book. So just be prepared. But I'm curious as you're talking about that and the meaning, what do you think the candle means? Like, what what is the candle or the light of the candle? Like, just off the top of your head, what do you think that is?
2: To me, it reflects the light of their... Gifts and it's like a an external thing that the community can see that shows that they are blessed that they were given these gifts Is my initial reaction.
0: That's a good answer good answer. Does the
1: candle come back at the end? It does not Okay, that's interesting Um, I hadn't really considered that because I do know when I was watching it the first time that was on my mind a lot was What is the candle here? And I don't think I was thinking about it the second time because I feel like the house represents the family. So obviously, right, not only is it a character in and of itself, but like it starts to crack and fall apart and there is no more togetherness. There's so many great visual metaphors about the house that I was really leaning into the second time. But I wasn't really thinking so much about the candle, but what you said there, Alicia, about it being like this. Outward showing of we have to keep the light burning. We can't it can't go out. We can't show weakness or mm. um, the thing that helped you or saved you or that made you special. Then becomes the most important thing, right? Um, that almost becomes the facade in front of everything else that takes precedent.
2: Exactly, it's the the external thing that everyone can see that shows that you are still doing a good job. And I feel like especially with I mean, the whole big moral of the story of of Abuela holding on too tightly. The candle was what she was holding on to. And that like external showing to symbolize to her that everything was still okay.
0: Andrew, what was the most meaningful scene to you?
1: Well, when we do these scenes, you got to pick a couple in case someone like takes yours um, and then Alicia went ahead and said two, which were Sorry. both of mine. <laughs> so that is a party foul. It's a podcast foul um, <laughs> on the guest host for the day. My bad. Uh, so I'm going to take, take a quick
0: pause. Alicia, you're doing great. Don't let Andrew <laughs> <play laughs> throw a at you. He's not prepared enough. <laughs> I should have had a third scene. <laughs> You Uh, can throw it to me. I have an answer for this. Perfect. Um, All right. Rob, what was your most meaningful scene? Okay, this is going to probably surprise you, but my most meaningful scene in the movie is Meet the Family Madrigal, the very first kind of song of the movie. Okay. Which is like, okay, why is this the most meaningful scene? Yeah. And have you ever been invited to either like a boyfriend girlfriend's house for thanksgiving or maybe like a best friend's house for thanksgiving dinner and like like with a big family and gotta like meet the whole family have you ever had that experience where it's like hey you're gonna go to a house where you don't know anyone you're gonna meet the family yeah i've had that experience a couple of times and when i've had that experience there's two types of ways it goes one is someone who kind of disdains their family and they're like oh this is my dad he's kind of weird and this is you know my aunt Martha, and she's always negative. And they just kind of give you this like really like angsty inner like like embarrassed introduction of their family. Like they're embarrassed of their family. So that's type one. And then type two is the person who just gushes about their family. Who's like, "Oh, this is my uncle, and he's so funny. And this is my little brother, he's adorable." And they just kind of gush about every single member. And you can't even like f- understand who all these people are, but you know that the person loves them, and because they love them. You love them. Meet the Family Madrigal is the second Thanksgiving dinner where it's just love that she has for everyone. And what's so interesting that stuck out to me on my second watch and when it really clicked for me of like, oh, this is a more interesting movie, is like she had every reason to kind of be angsty towards her family because she's the one who does not have the gift. She's the one who like, even all the family is kind of suspect of her of like, why don't you have the gift? Have you done something wrong? You know? And so she has that, but she still loves this family anyway. And it's that love that she has for the family that really like makes the whole thing work. Like what really the other moment that really stuck out to me is what's the flower song. Is it, uh, what else can I do? What else can I do? Thank you. During what else can I do? When they're doing all the flower, that sort of stuff. And she has to get a hug. The whole song, she's trying to get a hug. When she finally gets that hug in the meaningful way, they cut to the candle and that candle like burns really brightly at that moment. And what I realized watching in the second time is like, oh, during surface pressure, she's the one who can hear like her sister's pressure and her sister's actually really being honest about what she's going through. And what else can I do? She's the one who actually unlocks like, Um, what's the Isabella Isabella thank you what Isabella is like um, all about and what her story really is And Isabella confesses to her I didn't even want to marry him anyway and so she has this love for all of her family members and then throughout the movie they're the ones who come and confess to her and really tell them their deeper story and that's what actually made it work but I think what's so critical is like she is not the Jan Brady who's like Marsha 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 who's like annoyed at her family she like loves them and is proud of this family that she's from, and that's like the glue that holds it together. So, meet the Family Magical. That's my answer. I love that. I feel like
1: a scene that stood out to me um, as far as like character introductions that I just haven't seen in a Disney movie was like you get that Family Magical where you're you're right, like you you have someone that's just like so excited about their family, and you get sort of introduced to her joy there. But then the very next scene when she is under the bed with her cousin and is, like, trying to cheer him up. Um, Not necessarily cheer him up, but, like, give him confidence. And how, like, how realistic that scene felt of, like, what it's like to be with a family member who you just trust implicitly and you're talking about the future and you don't know how it's going to go. It didn't feel like a Disney relationship. I feel like you want to build a snowman in Frozen is, like, bubbly sisterness. And this was, like, this almost sibling relationship that was... So calm and so like it felt very deep and very authentic. Um, Like there's all these lived in years. I haven't seen a character introduction. Like that's when you like truly go, oh, this is the hero of the story. Like this woman is great. She has no powers and this is what she does. Um, And I feel like you fall in love with her in that moment and are sort of just on board with her for the rest of the movie. That's
0: good.
2: I would like to go out on a limb and say that I think that she does have powers I think that her power is the ability to tear down walls within her family, and that's what she does over and over again, right? Like, in the way that great therapy does, <laughs> she she builds the relationship with her family. She has that relationship, and so she can speak to them honestly and get them to open up to her about what is really going on with them, and then validate those feelings, you know, the the hug that she gives to Louisa at the end of Under Pressure, where she just says, I think you're caring too much, is, like, exactly what Louisa needed to hear, even though she maybe wasn't ready to hear it, and that's why she has to, like, process that for the rest of the movie as her powers are draining. But sure. I think that she does have that power specifically, and that's part of why like, the, the getting... Your room, getting your door, is something that separates you from the family, right? Like, they all have these huge, expansive rooms that are tailor-made for them so that they can disappear into a room that's just for them. And she doesn't get that room because she is part of the house. She is tearing down those walls, so her door is... The whole house. and it, it I think that's what makes the end so meaningful to me is because that's when she gets to see what her family eventually also sees in her, that she is this beautiful light in her family, just like all the others.
0: I think one interesting thing about the powers and and I agree with what you said. I think that is her power. I'm so cu- it's a n- curious decision, right? At the beginning of the movie, where she's about to get her power and they cut away from it. And so we <laughs> don't really ever quite get to see what happens there they kind of flash back to it some but like we have to put the pieces together um but one review that i was talking about said this is kind of the MCU Disney movie where like each and every person has their own power and it's kind of like the avengers assemble and that sort of thing but what's interesting about the way powers work in this movie is all the characters at least the ones we really get to know have angst about their powers. And so, like, mm-hmm. both of the songs are, or both the songs we're talking about, both Surface Pressure and um, what, what Else Can, else I, can I, do? I Do? What Else Can I Do? Both <laughs> of those songs are songs of lament about their powers of, like, okay, like, or, or at least exploration of, like, is this all that I am? What am I supposed to do with it? You know, they are songs about exploring these things that they have in them, and I think that's a really interesting part of, like, what this movie offers.
1: Yeah, I mean, when I sort of locked onto that, I started, like, thinking about, like, the other characters, and I was like, ah, oh, the, the cousin who hears everything, like, what's, what's her, like, personal wound because she hears everything? I was trying to, like, oh unpack gosh. everyone's psyche based on their superpower.
2: I think about Dolores' superpower all the time. It would be an absolute nightmare. Just a full nightmare. No one would have secrets from her. There's these beautiful little details, like when Antonio gets his power, there's a shot of the crowd clapping, and she's not clapping. She's, like, tapping two fingers together because, like, the sound of herself applauding is too loud. And, like, when the fireworks go, she covers her ears. And, like, there are so many things that I'm so thankful to not be able to hear like, anytime someone says something mean about her, she knows. Like, anyone, anytime her parents had an argument, she was aware. Like, truly just a cursed power.
1: Pretty terrible. <laughs> but, you know, like, she used it to help people in, in some way.
2: Yeah, I mean, they, they do a great job of playing it for laughs, but if you, if you go too far down that rabbit hole, it gets very scary.
1: Very scary, very fast.
0: Okay, so tell me this, least meaningful scene. Do you guys have a least meaningful scene in the movie? So least meaningful scene for me, I I thought long and hard about this
1: and I don't have an actual least meaningful scene. And I think it's because when it comes to animated movies, they re-storyboard these things so many times and they play cuts of the animatics and cuts of just, you know, the voices with little sketches over and over again because it costs so much to animate anything that if you're going to spend the money to animate it, it better be worth being in the movie. Right, so nothing gets skated through because the director's like, eh, I like that scene. Like, it all has to be worth something because of the cost of animation. So I think it's pretty rare that in an animated movie you come across a scene where you go like, that was unneeded. But the thing that I would say disappointed me about two scenes that weren't meaningful to me because of this thing was the what else can I do scene and the family magical. Every time I've seen this movie, I feel like those two songs is like my one critique of the movie. I feel like they're mixed weird, which I didn't want to get into the technical aspects of this movie. But I have a hard time understanding those songs because I feel like the instruments are louder than the vocals on just those two songs. And Lin-Manuel Miranda writes lyrics so quickly. He packs about three times as many lyrics into a song as anyone else that I felt like I was only catching every other sentence. And that bummed me out. Still understood what was going on, but I wanted like all of it, and so I don't know. I would I, w- I would say the the what else can I do was not meaningful to me on the first watch because I think I missed a lot of it, and on the second watch I went, oh, that was actually very meaningful.
2: I um yeah, that's interesting. I definitely agree with the first part of your answer. So I rewatched the movie last night, and I pretty quickly had answers for every other question but this one I really struggled with because I agree there is not an ounce of fat in this movie I think that each scene really does progress the movie and adds to the story the character development I think it's like very well constructed Um, as far as the songs go as someone who doesn't have great hearing I definitely feel that and I will absolutely admit that I'm like watching stuff with subtitles now. It's a game changer. Can't recommend highly enough.
0: (laughs) As
1: long as you can read at the speed of Lin-Manuel Miranda.
2: Yeah, yeah, that's fair.
0: (laughs) Alicia, I'm with you. I'm on team subtitles. Actually, I'm a big foreign film fan. And for years, I'm like, hey, watch this French film, or hey, watch this Korean film. And my friends wouldn't do it. Like, I don't want to watch a film with subtitles. And those same people now put subtitles on all their movies.
2: (laughs) We got to do it.
0: I was thinking, I was like, am I losing my hearing?
1: I was actually getting like really nervous because like my dad is losing his hearing a little bit over like the last 10 years and I was like, oh my gosh, do I have headphones in too often? Am I losing my hearing? I couldn't understand these songs. I was like having a whole existential crisis about it and then a friend of mine was like, I couldn't understand those two songs either and I was like, ah, (laughs) I (laughs) win. (laughs) And I felt a lot better about it. So I'm gonna blame the sound mixer even though I'm sure it was
0: probably just fine. (laughs) Okay, my least meaningful scene and this is not a scene as much as it is a feeling of, like, so after from Meet the Family Madrigal, pretty much all the way to Surface Pressure, there's like a lot of exposition and you're getting to know different things and characters. And I agree, there's like not an ounce of fat, but I did feel like, what is this conflict about? Like, what is this story about? Where are we going each time that I watch the film? Because I don't really know what the tension is. It's like, oh, the little kid, he's going to get his powers and she doesn't have her powers. And I'm like, Okay, she doesn't have her powers, but that's like not enough for me to like really be invested. And so I'm always like curious of what the central tension is until we really get to Bruno and then all, like on surface pressure, it's kind of when that the Bruno storyline really starts taking over. And so I think it's really interesting how the first act, it's there. it's shaded there, but there's not this kind of like central tension sort of quest that she's trying to do in that first act.
1: Well, I think that's true, and I think it's what makes it different from a typical, like, Disney movie, like a Tangled, where, like, by minute three, you're like, oh, this girl has to get out of the tower. Yep. They really set up, like, what the quest is. I don't know that I quite felt that with, like, there not being tension. I feel like they stretch the tension of how must it feel to be the only, quote, non-special one in a family full of superpowers about as long as that tension could stretch. Each one of those scenes is like, does she have a power? No, she doesn't. The very next scene is her having to console a little kid who's about to get his own as the one who doesn't have them. So you're kind of like empathizing with her. Then you have to watch her go through watching someone else get theirs when she still doesn't have it. And that's about as far as you can stretch that. I feel like you're really kind of in her head. And then the house starts to crack. And as soon as the house starts to crack, I feel like it turns into this like, oh, something's wrong. Like something's wrong with the magic and we have to fix the magic. And the movie comes about, we have to fix the magic, which then becomes about therapy. But it is unlike a lot of other Disney movies where the central tension is just inside that character. How must it feel to be this person is, I guess, kind of what I think connects you and keeps you going for those first maybe 15 minutes.
2: Yeah, I agree with you. I think that the song that we get to, I forget the name of it, but the one that she sings, that's kind of like her lament. um, I feel like that's the first time that we kind of get to see how she honestly feels about um, the situation. It's again, kind of that like play of internal and external. The external is family madrigal. It's consoling Antonio. It's walking Antonio to his door. And then we get the internal of like, Listen, I love my family and I think that they are all special, but I also want to be special. And I think that that is an important moment um because it kind of de disneyfies it, right? It's it's instead of the glossy princess, we get the real person. And so I think that is an interesting and important time in the movie even though we haven't gotten to like the central conflict.
0: Yeah. That song is called Waiting for a Miracle. Yeah. I do know some of the song names, just not that one song.
2: <laughs> That's okay. As long as we like each know a couple, we can cover them all.
0: It's beautiful. Then we're good. Okay. So let's talk about songs, because this is the real question in the movie. What song is better? We don't talk about Bruno or Let It Go. You got to pick one. What's the better song? I'm, okay. I'm full on team. We don't talk about Bruno.
2: Ugh, same. Big Same. I think they're both great songs. I think that um, We Don't Talk About Bruno is just a more fun and interesting and complex song. It gives us so much backstory in such a fun way where I don't feel like I'm just getting exposition. And Let It Go is a great, like, I Am song, right? Like in musical theater, we have the I Want song, we have the I Am song, and it's a really great, like, this is who I am now, and that's fun, but it's only pushing forward the emotional journey of, like, one character, whereas we don't talk about Bruno. I learn something about everyone who participates in that song, and so I find it to be just a more interesting and complex song. And then also I think that poor Let It Go got overplayed uh, <laughs> to all heck, so it it's hard at this point in time to really fight for Let It Go, I think.
1: That song was... Absolutely magic when it came out. But yeah, uh, eight-year-old girls everywhere ruined it for us all. Sorry, eight-year-old girls listening to this podcast.
2: <laughs> yeah, wicked burn.
0: They're all now 25, <laughs> so it's all right.
1: <laughs> okay, fair enough. It's interesting that you bring up like musical theater structure, Alicia, because like, I was thinking about the like musical theater-ness of this song. And uh, Linda Miller Miranda from... Broadway, right? He wrote Hamilton and In the Heights. And uh, this is his second Disney movie. He did uh, Moana before this. Um, But this song to me felt like his first honest to God Broadway song, even though it's fully a Latin vibe and not like typical New York Broadway but even the way it's like animated at the end, where like everyone has their own little verse, right, where they're all singing stuff in exposition, and then the very last chorus is them all singing on top of each other, right? Which is a very classic musical theater thing to do, like end of act one of Les Mis, One Day More, everyone's singing on top of each other all the time, it's everyone's story is clashing. And even the way it's animated with her like putting the puzzle together and people like going around her, that's how you would block that song on a Broadway stage. The animators, they turned it into this whole dance number that wasn't like be our guest, that was like fantastic. I was like, this feels like something I would be watching in New York on Broadway with a bunch of world-class like dancers. I was like, this is really a cool way to like tell this and outside of a standard Disney playbook.
2: I love that you said that because um, that's exactly what they did. And actually, uh, my friend Michael um, (laughs) was pretty involved in like translating the choreography to the animation. So um, him and a bunch of the other animators that have that worked on that aspect have posted a bunch of videos of like the original choreography that they shot with like real dancers and how it directly translated to the animation, and that one specifically, the way that they interplayed everybody was really like staged for a Broadway show. It, it's exactly that. It's like this went from stage to screen.
1: As being someone who like loves musical theater um, and that world, it was such a treat to see that level of of choreography subtly but so directly like built into the middle of this
0: movie. Totally. Alicia, I love that you just took us to like the behind the scenes DVD kind of moment of like how it yeah. all really happened and the shoots all that's fantastic. So I have to tell you guys, um, hearing let it go makes me physically ill because <laughs>
2: <laughs> I can <I>, only imagine.
0: <laughs> how many daughters do you have, Rob? I have four daughters. I don't talk about this in the podcast very much because nor- normally we do like violent, crazy movies that my kids can't watch. But I have four daughters and um, they all had toys, you know, for the last 10 years. That When did Frozen come out? 20, you know. Oh gosh. 14, 2014? 2014?
1: That sounds about right. Yeah. yeah. so 20, like for the 2013,
0: last, 2014? For the last eight years, there have been like wands and jukeboxes and Elsa dolls that just play that song in the middle of the night. And my grandparents and parents keep buying them for them. And so it's just like, let it go over and over again. And so that song makes me physically ill. But I do remember first seeing it in theater. I didn't even know what Frozen was. I was like, oh, that's a movie. movie. I'm sure we'll watch this once and never watch it again. (laughs) I took my kids to go see it. And that song is a valid. The first time I saw it, it was so incredible. It's like it was, an anthem. Um, it's, it's a great it is great. a great driving
2: like, in the car song. Like, it's a great carpool karaoke. Absolutely. Well,
0: isn't the story that, like, the producers, like, that song was written, and they're like, you cannot make Elsa the villain. She, yeah, has she was. to
1: be... Yeah, she was the full villain, and they rewrote the arc of the story after hearing that song.
0: And I feel like they just knew, like, it was gonna be a hit, which, with We Don't Talk About Bruno, didn't it not get nominated for an Oscar? Because they didn't, like... Put it up for an Oscar. I should have researched this better in the show notes. But, like... So, the,
1: the song in the movie called Encanto, which you couldn't sing if someone held a gun to your head, is the one that got nominated. I
2: thought, I thought it was the other one. The dos... Oh, I'm going to say this wrong. Dos... Do, 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 the butterflies. Oh, I'm not even going to try. I'm so sorry. Yeah,
1: the one that they played during the flashback, which is a beautiful tune. Yeah, maybe, maybe, that's maybe that the was the one it. that got nominated. Well... This is us doing our laborious amount of research that Alicia congratulated us for at the top of this podcast.
0: (laughs) You all have Google. You can look this up yourself. Don't be so lazy.
1: Regardless, We Don't Talk About Bruno did not get nominated. Surface Pressure did not get nominated, which was kind of mind-blowing to me.
0: And my point with that was I don't even think they knew that We Don't Talk About Bruno was going to become what it did, was going to become like the next... Let it go, which is now the most downloaded Disney song ever, whatever that means. It's just like it is such a cultural phenomenon. And to bring it full circle, my answer is we don't talk about Bruno, but I do think let it go like I want to like put some respect on it because like which I can't believe I'm doing this, but I'm going to do it. I'm going to put some respect (laughs) on let it go because it's an important, important song. And maybe like, you know, like up there with the great Disney songs of all time. But for me, what I prefer about we don't talk about Bruno, I love you guys what you're saying about the choreography, like totally with you. And for me, it's just a story issue. It's there I love what you were saying, Alicia, as well about the story. Like there's so much backstory. And we don't talk about Bruno. It's kind of an interesting story because essentially Bruno's superpower is being a Debbie Downer, right? Like that's really (laughs) (laughs) what he does is he just tells the guy like, hey, you're going to be fat. And hey, you're going to be bald. And hey, you're going to have a guy that you like, but he's just out of reach. And so he kind of like it's just like (laughs) I'm killing everyone with truth. And that's why he gets he gets driven out. But it's. That whole arc is so important to the whole story in a way that "Let It Go" is just a nice release. Like it doesn't really have much to do with the story, or at least moving the story forward.
1: Yeah, it's a moment in the in the story. It doesn't push the story. I mean, it's it's the moment where the story turns. I don't want to like sleep on "Let It Go" because you're right; it is fantastic, despite it being overplayed. But yeah, it's a moment versus this engine that really pushes the story forward.
2: Yeah, and if the if the criteria was best dress change and best hair change, then Let It Go has it hands down.
1: (laughs) Right. (laughs) That's right.
2: (laughs) Um, Also, Andrew, we were both right. Uh, One was uh, nominated for original score and one was original song. Got it.
0: Very good. Good job. Way Way to clean that up, Alicia. Appreciate that.
2: Thank you, thank you. Mostly, I just needed to know if I was completely wrong.
0: Okay, so my next question is this. Who's your most meaningful character in the movie?
2: So... I have an answer. It was so hard. It was so hard to pick because I think that like, okay, so my, my answer is Abuela. I think that she is like as close as we get to an antagonist without getting an antagonist, but truly I really feel like it was a pretty even playing field for all of the supporting cast. So I had a really hard time kind of deciding who was most meaningful.
1: I think Abuela for sure is the most meaningful character to me. I want to do a quick aside to Mirabelle's father, who is maybe the smallest character in the movie. He gets little to no screen time at all. But you were talking earlier about how, like, most Disney parents are, like, a parent. Like, no one gets two parents in a Disney film. Well, Mirabelle does. Like, not only does Mirabelle Mm -hmm. have a whole intact family, minus Abuelo, she's got two parents. Mm -hmm. And she lives with them. Um, Which is very unique for a Disney film, but I don't think I've ever seen in a Disney movie is like mom and dad stand up for their little girl in a traumatic situation. And there's, again, dad has almost no lines in the movie, but he has this one line where he like stands up for her in front of Abuela. in like what Mm -hmm. feels like a family argument at Thanksgiving where he's like, you're too hard on her. And like he has this really great moment where he's not the comic relief. He's not getting stung by bees. And he like is a dad and stands up for her. And it's fleeting, but I remember it.
0: But both the parents, it's a great point because both the parents are there for her in meaningful ways. Like her mom has that moment when she's feeling sad about not getting the powers and she's like, no. And she's being playful with her. And like, it's just a great mom moment. I was like, I was like, oh, I could see my wife. Like, that's how she would handle that situation. And then the dad as well, when she kind of finds the prophecy and she's trying to hide it, he really kind of leads her through that moment. And um, yeah, and then they're both sticking up for her. And so I was like, wow, not only is there Disney parents in this movie, but there are Disney competent parents in this movie. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Which is the thing that this movie
1: really walks this line of, of like making them competent parents while also like giving them their fun things. Like he's a comic relief character a lot of the time because he's clumsy and keeps getting stung by bees and he's allergic or whatever. (laughs) Right. But like, so there's like all those moments but also like in the same way the relationship between uh, the aunt and uncle um aunt peppa mm-hmm. and felix marcos? felix i don't know why i went with marcos
2: who's marcos
1: i'm not in this movie um uncle felix and aunt peppa like seeing how their like marriage works how he's able to like very visually make her not rain Mm -hmm. which is a whole storyline in itself. At the end, it's like, it's okay for it to rain and you can dance in the rain and it's fine, which I love. But you can see that they have this like, she's really fiery and he's like really cool, but how well they compliment one another. And it's not even like an A, B or C plot. Mm -hmm. Their relationship off to the side, kind of how well it's written, how well it's animated, like that was done with love and not with not consideration. That's a very real relationship of how they deal with each other's flaws and argue, but are like fully in love. I'm like, that's Really cool to see in a movie like this.
0: My most meaningful character is Louisa, uh, who's probably not the most meaningful character, but really the reason I wanted to highlight her specifically is Disney movies also need to have that comic relief. They need to have Pumbaa and Timon. They need to have Olaf. They need to have someone who's really making us laugh. And for me, Luisa was that character, that scene where like they're doing the proposal and she's trying to bring the piano down the stairs and can't do it. Like I'm laughing out loud during it. And, um, it, it she, she just brought so much fun and even surface pressure is like, I love that it's a meaningful scene for Alicia. And I think it's totally right, but it's also like really funny the way she's like dancing and picking up donkeys and all this sort of stuff. And so she's just like, anytime she's on screen, I'm like all in on her and, uh, She's just fun to track with. I don't know if she brings depth of a meaning of like, oh, this is really the core of what the soul is. But I think she does bring this kind of lightness, which kind of keeps this movie centered as a Disney movie. And so I really wanted to highlight her and talk about her for a moment there.
2: For sure.
1: I feel like as we're, like, pulling these characters out, we're, like, giving a thumbs up and, like, fist bump to actual people. And these are, like, <laughs> animated characters. Louisa, like, really did it. Like, shout out to Louisa. Like, it's, it's, that's not a person.
2: <laughs> <laughs> but what a beautiful culmination of a bunch of people's work that brought her to life. Because she's Jess Darrow. She's the animators. She's everybody.
0: And she does. She lives and breathes. as do so many of these characters, you know. They live and breathe and uh, the palette they create is so colorful. And I think that's, you know, like all of that, like it just there's a vibrancy about this movie, which, again, like I really picked up on the second time where I'm like, so, hey, if you've watched Encanto once and it was like, okay, it was okay, Like, this is a great rewatch movie. Like, I think that's what's different about it than other Disney movies is like you can rewatch it and see like, oh, there's all this stuff that I'm picking up on.
1: There's a lot of depth and and meaning, but there's also, like Alicia, you were saying, of the little things you pick up on, Mm -hmm. like Dolores only clapping with two fingers, which, if you could see the video of us, (laughs) Alicia and I are doing the two-finger clap, which you guys can't see on audio form. But, like, uh, in We Don't Talk About Bruno, Bruno is actually, like, up in, like, the background, creeping around before you ever actually see him in the movie. Like, there's all these wonderful little things that the animators included all throughout it. It's just really good.
2: So, if you rewatch it on Disney+, Plus again... I can't recommend um, subtitles enough, especially for a Abuela's backstory song. As someone who doesn't speak Spanish, that was a beautiful song to hear in the theater, but I didn't get the full meaning of that song and how it connected with the visuals until I watched it with subtitles, because um, at least on Disney+, Plus, mm. they do subtitle that song in English if you have the English subtitles turned on. And that added so much to that scene, because the it really is a gorgeous song um and the story that is being presented in that song is very complementary to the story that we're getting of abuela's life
1: that's
0: awesome i didn't know that that's really cool hot fact coming in with them hot disney facts <laughs> i did love that that song was all in spanish and i loved the use of spanish in the movie in general where certain characters will just speak in spanish and like sometimes they translate and other times they don't like hey you just have to like pick up on it or there's contextual meanings and I thought it was bold especially to do a whole song that's like hey this is in Spanish and but also the visuals really carry that all the way through even if you you know didn't understand the words it's like the visuals helping it but yeah seeing those words again like reinforces it and it's great
2: yeah and I think it was also a beautiful like nod that they did to it being a Colombian story um, there's the the scene Andrew that you were talking about where um, Mirabel puts together the vision and her dad like finds her um mm-hmm. and then we see that dolores uh heard heard their conversation and he says what translates to wednesday in spanish but in colombian that's like a slang expletive of like oh no <laughs> and it's just one of those things that even if you are a spanish speaker you would not necessarily know but if you are a colombian you know that's what it means And I think that's really cool that they, again, as they are making movies for a larger global audience, are like incorporating those bits of culture um, that are for the people who know.
0: That's super cool. All right, so here's the big question in the episode. What is this movie ultimately trying to say? We may have covered this earlier, but this is your final argument on what you think it's trying to say.
2: I think it's trying to say... Go to therapy. You need it. We all need it. Generational trauma is real.
1: <laughs> I mean, that that's for sure. The generational trauma angle of this is the front and center, like all of it. I think we, we all sort of talked about meaningful characters that were maybe a little off the beaten path. And both Alicia, you and I both said like Abuela and then talked about somebody else because she's kind of the obvious one. But I do think her like the meaning of the movie as seen through her eyes when we go to her flashback and you see the moment the miracle happened to me watching it what that felt like is the lengths that we will go to internally to never lose control again after something traumatic happens the mountains rise up around them and she's safe now and the house becomes a safety and she's going to use that house to make everyone else safe and she's going to stay in control because there was this one moment where she was something horrifying happened and she was not in control and um people who've experienced really extreme trauma and that loss of control um have similar stories and so just like the visual of that for the whole movie and sort of that reveal of like she's not a mean person she has been mean she has inflicted trauma on her family because of this but the length that not dealing with that kind of trauma can go and um, what it will do to the people that you love. And she's not trying to be mean to them. She's actually actively trying to do what is good for everyone. Um, and in the process, like really, really deeply hurting people long term. It's a, it's a really, really grown up meaning. Um, yeah. That I, I think even if you understood as a kid, you can't fully understand until you're old enough to have experienced something like it within your own relationships.
2: Yeah. I think it's one of the. Best things about this movie is that it really does have this very delicate message about how, when you experience trauma, you can pass that on to the people that you love the most, completely unintentionally if you do not address your trauma. Um, and you're right, it is such an adult message, but I think it is maybe not in those words but i think it is a message that children can understand and it's something that it is rob i'm sure you can speak to this more fully than andrew and i could but like it is the the job of parents to teach their children emotional intelligence and that includes being able to identify the shortcomings of the people that they love so that they don't inherit those traits
0: yeah i I think that's really well said and i think As a parent, it's interesting because I was watching this movie with my kids who have seen it like 25 times and I was asking them different questions. Like, okay, I asked them like, what does the candle mean? Why did the grandma not want to tell? And it was interesting them picking up on like the secrets that were being held, you know, very much through the eyes of a kid, but they are picking up on those themes in a way that like um, through their own lens and through their own worldview, but they are thinking about it. And like, as a parent, I was grateful of like, oh, you're thinking about different sort of things in a different sort of story than you normally would be. That's awesome. So for me, I have a question. Mirabelle is, where is she in the birth order? Is she the youngest?
2: She's the youngest of Isabella and Luisa, and then she's the same age as Camilo and older than Antonio.
0: So she's kind of right there, like youngest slash middle child area. I, I think what the meaning of this movie is for me and what I really pulled out of it is Every large family has that glue person who actually kind of is like a if they're healthy or maybe healthy is too strong. If they're functional and they know how to love each other and they know that how to have meals together and like be whole still, a family needs a glue person. And Mirabelle is that person who, again, is like everyone can come talk to her. I mentioned this earlier, but I, I kind of wrote down the list of like Louisa unloads that she hates to carry everything. Bruno tells her the secrets, you know? Everyone's just kind of telling what's going on, and she's kind of this central character who's, like, holding all of that and carrying it all. And actually, I thought about my own sister, who's kind of that glue person in our family, where she's, like, she's taking care of mom and dad, and she's calling this person, and she's, like, arranging all this stuff, and she kind of holds it all together. And I think what's so interesting is, like, most Disney movies, right, are about, like, the star princess. They're about... Rapunzel they're about Ariel and this movie's about one of Ariel's sisters that we've never got to meet who has her own interesting story and so it's like hey we're not going to tell you like the beautiful princess who's being proposed to she's the side character in this movie and like the little known sister who's not as well known she's actually the star of this movie and I thought that was just a really interesting thing because it's like hey let's point the camera at a different type of character and tell a different type of story and that really stuck out to me of what the movie means.
1: I think that evolution of Disney's like storytelling structure—not necessarily just structure, but their playbook—and um, you know, pointing the camera at a different character. But also, I was debating when I was talking about when I was thinking about the meanings of this other meaning that seemed to be working its way through the whole movie, which seems to be sort of a upending a Disney tradition of messaging, and that's that what makes you special isn't the whole of you. And I feel like Disney for a lot of their movies, if you look at look at like Mulan or Hercules or like some some Pixar movies like Monsters University, or there's this message of what makes you different, this thing that maybe makes you feel ostracized. The thing that makes you different is what makes you special. And so own that difference about you because it's what gives you your power and it and it's this empowerment message. And this feels like the next step of that of like, if you go all in on what makes you special and you allow that to become the all of you, the whole thing, that's all I am, that is ultimately unfulfilling. The thing that Mirabelle is like helping everyone in her family almost figure out, is like this thing that is your identity is not the the whole of you and you can be more. It feels like a not traditionally Disney playbook message and sort of not undermining a previous message of theirs, but certainly furthering and making something that they've traditionally talked a lot about more complex.
0: It's really, really good. Okay. So our final bonus question that we do is if you liked Encanto, you might also like blank Alicia. This is like when you're in the bookstore and you're like, Hey, if you like Stephen King, you might also like this author. Like what's your kind of version of like, if you like Encanto, you might also like this movie.
2: Um, So I had two that popped to mind when I saw this one. Um, Andrew, let me know if either of these are yours and we can pretend I never said them. Um, so my first one is Stardust Um, to be clear I mean Stardust from I think 2007 I think there's a new like Iggy Pop movie that's coming out that is also called Stardust that's not what I mean Um, but it's like a very non-typical fairy tale Um, and so I think that it kind of fits in to the like I want a fairy tale vibe but without a traditional princess kind of situation Um, and then I also think that Princess Diaries is a good one because it's similarly like about a main character who looks at the world very differently, has a grandmother who's being very strong as she leads her people. I think there's a lot of similarities and also just a great movie.
1: I think um, if you uh, were sort of on board in this podcast for like all the stuff we're talking about, about the evolution of Disney. Um, There's a great documentary called Waking Sleeping Beauty, which is about that Disney renaissance that Rob was talking about back when like uh, the Little Mermaid came out and how Disney sort of reinvented themselves um, and uh, tells tells that whole story. So um, I would say if you've been interested in some of the meta stuff we've been talking about in this podcast, you might also really love Waking Sleeping Beauty.
0: Awesome answers, you guys. Mine's a little more on the nose, and I just said Coco. I think Encanto and Coco is a great double feature. I think obviously, like, um, there's some similarities of, like, an uncle and a, you know, family secret that we don't talk about. But, like, one is more about a family tree and, like, the power of it and, like, letting fully embracing that. And the other one is about, like, actually bringing healing in the family itself. But I think, like... Um, the themes and both of them really like speak to each other. And I think like one is more the Pixar angle of it with afterlife and all sorts of different things, and another's a Disney Fied version. But like I would do that Friday night drive in double feature of Encanto and Coco, I think would be rad.
1: That's a great answer. That would be a, a great double feature.
0: Well, uh, thank you both for doing the episode. It was great. Alicia, you did such a good job.
2: Oh, thank you so much. What a joy to be here. Thank
0: you for being our first guest.
2: Absolutely. I do it again.
0: We loved having you on the episode We loved the like se- I didn't even know we were getting this like the secret insider Like track of all the different stuff and your story on that that was fabulous extra layer But like your insight everything that was a lot of fun to talk about
2: Uh, Happy to exploit my friends for podcast gold.
0: (laughs) Well, everyone else, remember, review, rate, subscribe, share with your friends. Until then, we'll see you next time on The Meaning of the Movie.